The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, I'm so excited because, oh boy, we have returning to us all the way from out there in Utah and Colorado and parts unknown, the world's greatest breathing specialist, Ed Harold, the author of Life with Breath. And he's going to tell us all about breath and our brains and everything else. And I'm so excited. Ed, thanks for making the trip in. Oh, Hacky, it's great to be with you and your audience. You guys are doing awesome work. Thank you very much. So you flew in and your arm's tired. I feel great, though. I'm, I'm pumped up for this. And, you know, ever since I saw your presentation at the Aspen Brain Lab, you know, not only did I fall in love with you, but I fell in love with your message and your passion. What do you have to be so mean for? You know, it's just growing up in New Jersey, you get that little edge, you know, and it's you either accept it or you reject it. We got to be nice. Well, I got to tell the audience when um, we were both presenting out at the Aspen Institute and I was in the audience when uh, Ed presented his breathing. Part of his presentation is you have to stand up and actually take the time to breathe. And I'll never forget how different it felt. And it was the first time I really stopped to do that in a conscious way. And it really, really made a difference to everybody there. And I think uh, all of your, you know, you have so many workshops and so many instructional things. Tell our audience, first of all, how you got into all this breathing stuff. Uh, about 25 years ago, uh, I was a broken athlete. My body was uh, ravaged from the wear and tear of com competitive Western sports. Uh, and I just was really stuck mentally. I, nothing was new, and it seemed like the walls were closing in on me, and uh, I just knew something needed to change in my life. And I discovered a place in Massachusetts called the Kripala uh, Yoga Center. And the Kripala style of yoga uh, is more of a gentle movement, therapeutic movement, but it's very, it, it's based deeply in controlled breathing. And we looked at India and the art of pranayama, prana being energy and yama trying to control our energy, I learned various different ways to breathe. And I applied different breathing strategies with therapeutic movement. And I began to notice that I could open my body up again. I began to feel younger. I began to think younger. I began to be more open to life. And it was almost like a second childhood. Wow. How old were you when this went on? This was like, I was like 35. So I was right at the point when the wall started to close in. You know, the body starts to fail a little bit from the rigors of training. And uh, the mind starts to follow in that because the body is not as vibrant as it once was. So there tend to, tends to be some subconscious repetition. There's less neuroplasticity. There's, le there's less new ideas. And it's just not as much fun. And then I began to just discover the power of this breath and then applying the breath into therapeutic exercise. It was just a great tool to rewire my brain open my heart, and begin the second half of my life. How did you mesh that within, with, with your education and your reading and your learning from so many different experts? Yeah, well, the great thing about the breath was I am an energy junkie. Like, I love a lot of energy. 
And, you know, as you get older, you don't have as, as much energy, but you have more awareness. So I could, I could discovered through the breath that not only could I have a boatload of energy, but it was calm energy. My heart rate was lower. My blood pressure was lower. And then I began to rewire my perception of myself, my values, the people I hang with, my skill sets. So for me, it was about mixing the breath in with the kinesthetic learner that I was as an athlete and then blending it into the corporate mind that I have, which is strategically trying to be as efficient as possible and creating leverage in revenue strategies. And then you wrote your book, Life with Breath. What year did you write that book? I wrote that book about eight years ago. And how does that book differ from the brand new book you're working on? The Life with Breath book was a way of showing people, number one, the power of breath and how it interacts with the various nervous systems of the body, how it reacts with our emotional intelligence, our ability to be with strong feelings, how it helps evolve our mental cognition and rationalizations and strategies. And I just kind of laid it out for folks that, ladies and gentlemen, if you're breathing, you have one of the most powerful tools to shift your neurobiology, to amplify your biology, and get out of your own way and have a joyful life. And I put together a 30-day breathing program for folks that if they follow that program, by the time they get to that 30 days, they're going to have a completely different relationship with themselves. The new book is designed more or less for how can we perform at extremely high levels with the lowest heart rate as possible. And the name of your new book? Body, Mind, Business. Body, Mind, and Business. And now you've thrown business in there. Well, I, you know, we're all in sales. You know, no matter what platform you're in in your life, you're trying to sell a quality of yourself to another person or a brand or a strategy. So I, I look at business as, you know, how can we have an equal exchange with ener of energy with people while at the still t same time creating a lot of revenue and joy for ourselves? And they're not mutually exclusive. They are not. You're right. They're not. You know, there's a certain set of, you know, healthy ethics and rules that we all need to play by where, you know, trust, being authentic, you know, always seeing the best in the situation, not allowing emotion to overpower intellect, our ability to reason and make good choices. So, you know, life is going to be filled with stress and resistance. You know, we all have a pretty high bar for ourselves, especially folks like ourselves. We set that bar pretty high every day. And the more that we do that without being attached to the outcome, like it doesn't matter who gets it right, just get it right. And you'll get the credit down the line. You know, everybody's just clinging to that small pie where in my mind, it's like, let's just all show up and do the best we can. And I think we don't realize us non-breathing people. No, you're breathing fine. We, um, we don't realize how integrated it is. And my recent, most recent learning with that was I was feeling under a lot, a lot of stress. And a friend of mine out in Colorado suggested I try some mindfulness which I always think of, I had always thought of as like yoga and you have music and chimes and you got to lay down. And No, no, he, he introduced me to this app called 10% Happier. And where uh, um, the, uh, the, the founder of it, Kevin, he was, uh, he was a regular guy that he was an anchor on uh, like uh, national news shows and stuff. And he had a panic attack right on the air. So he had to do something. And it's more of just 
him talking to experts and the experts work with you a bit. What was, has been amazing to me as a complete, you know, newbie dilettante in this is that um, everything centers around the breather. That's how, that's really the primary way you know that you're in the moment. Yeah, there's, there's a way that we can breathe that really settles the neurology down. It settles the brain down. And we have the, the ability to stay present and not drift into our subconscious of events that have already occurred that seem to be coming to the forebrain area as they're actually happening, but they're not. They've already have happened. So one of the things that we like to do with folks is, is number one, is, is to breathe through your nose. And slowing down your inhale, two amazing things are going to happen. Number one is the primary muscle of inhale is your abdominal diaphragm muscle, and it separates your belly from your chest cage. So when you're inhaling slower, you're activating the diaphragm to move vertically down to create wonderful posture or alignment of the vertebra. And the brain loves to see a straight spine. And when you slow down the inhale, you're allowing parasympathetic or relaxation activity to come to something which is normally sympathetic or a rising of the heart rate. So <clears throat> two really good things around a slower inhale through the nose. Normally the inhale is sympathetic and there'll be a slight spike of your heart rate. There'll be a slight spike of your blood pressure. But since you have free will, you have the ability to inhale slower. And the slower you do it, the more relaxation, the more relaxation neurochemistry and biology and hormonal secretions you can bring to the mind and body, while at the same time giving yourself beautiful posture so you're using the least amount of energy as possible to move through your task. Tell us more about, from your point of view, where some of the brain anatomy is happening as you're rewiring your brain with the, with the breathing. Yeah, so step one is just remembering that we are all born nostril breathers. Uh, the mouth is designed to eat and not breathe. The mouth is an emergency breathing mechanism for fight or flight activity so we don't die or we're trying to get food. It's very primitive in its nature. When you think about the nostril breathing, the nostril breathing, the, the horse that wins the Kentucky Derby every year does the whole race breathing through his nose. The cheetah running 40 miles an hour in nature trying to get food is breathing through his nose. They're not mouth breathers. It's the most efficient way to oxygenate our cells. So when you're breathing through your nose, there's a, a molecule secreted which is called nitric oxide. It's a molecule that's formed in the brain that dilates the alveoli sacs of the lungs. So you can have a longer, more depth inhale. It's also going to satiate our cranial nerves, which are helping the brain organize the moment for us so that it's the most relaxed moment as possible and it's not reactive unless it has to be. So getting that inhale up through the nose, getting the nitric oxide, relaxing the cranial nerves, really, really important to helping the brain help us. The mouth breathing, when the brain sees the air coming in and out through the mouth, it simulates and stimulates the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenal glands, our HPA access of survival. In that, all the energy leaves our viscera, digestion stops, fat burning stops, fat starts to be stored, glucose starts to be burned, and we don't have a lot of glucose energy. So 
closing the mouth, breathing through the nose. Get control of your breath. What controls your heart rate? How many breaths you're taking per minute? So if you can slow your breathing down, you can bring your heart rate down. The brain loves to see a lower heart rate. And when the brain sees the lower heart rate, your blood pressure is lower. So there's more relaxation, there's more calm, there's more mindfulness. And when the brain sees that slower breathing, it tells the body to burn fat, not store fat. So it's a master key for linking and integrating all the various medicines. I just had an epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> and I had 26 pro heavyweight fights. And I got to work with some amazing trainers, my friend Tommy Torino, so many others. But I did some work with Angelo Dundee, who had 15 world champions and Muhammad wow, Ali. Fantastic. I fought some of his fighters, and I'm doing a documentary on him, actually. And now that you mention all this, when you're fighting, like, uh, you know, like when I would be in a tough 10-rounder, uh, it's really challenging everything, especially your respiratory system. And... Um, you kind of force yourself to breathe through your nose. You got the mouthpiece in mm -hmm. and you come back to your corner and your trainer tells you just relax. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of mindfulness in there. And now that you're explaining to our audience and to me, the actual neurophysiology as it works, now it makes sense. And all of those trainers who never had the advantage of a PhD, they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. That, that's an amazing analogy because everything it, from the soles of our feet to the crown of our head basically is a brain or has the ability to think. And when you think about boxing, you lose control of your breath, you lose your lower body mechanics because you've lost the movement of the diaphragm, and as soon as you lose your lower body mechanics, you, lo you lose your leverage to hit, and then you're going to get hit, and you're going to go down. There's a big part of our brain that likes the access to the legs and the feet to help us think, to help us stay grounded, to help us stay present. So if you can really get control of your breath in this diaphragm muscle, you can really link up these lower body grounding rods to helping the brain rotate through the information, either reduce it into a new choice or expand it into a different idea. You know, I have a friend of mine who's uh, very overweight and she is, uh, having troubles, even just, she has some orthopedic problems too, but she's having trouble even walking. She gets out of breath real fast. Mm. And she's got, you know, kind of a belly on her. And uh, it was my contention that her, even when she's in the erect position, her diaphragm can't do what it's got to do. Right. What advice, other than to try to get rid of the belly, might you have for someone like that, that they can do that can help them now? So you'll notice that she's a mouth breather. So the diaphragm muscle only really can be activated breathing through the nose. When we're breathing through the mouth, the diaphragm will not vertically press down, giving her a wonderful massage on her gastrointestinal organs. The diaphragm kind of flattens east and west, and you'll see poor posture in the low back, and vertebra will compress, and nerve endings will deaden. And when you start to breathe through your nose, you'll notice the posture. You'll notice the vertically pressing down. So that every time she breathes today, breathing through her nose, there's going to be 20,000 times a massage moving downward to help eliminate and assimilate her nutrition. A big thing we want her to do is allow the brain to feel safe. 
And the brain feels safe when we're breathing with the exhale longer than the inhale. There's a part of the brain that just watches breathing, the respiratory glands in the brain. And when you can exhale longer than your inhale, you're triggering to the centers of the brain that you're safe in the environment that you're in. You're not hunting, nor are you being hunted. So as soon as you trigger an exhale longer than the inhale, the brain will tell the body to naturally burn its fat stores, not store fat. Does the amygdala get involved, the center for fight or flight and violence? Big time. So anytime you're breathing rapidly, whether through your nose or your mouth, you're going to fire up that amygdala and it's going to become almost parasitic in regard to how it grows in taking your energy into all of your thought forms, all of your relationships. So one of the ways that we can dull the amygdala and amplify the hippocampus and evolve our awarenesses of where we've been, where we are, and where we want to go is to slow down the inhale, and after the inhale, pause for a second or two. Establish a meditative state. You'll notice when you stop breathing, your mind stops, and the film stops moving, and you have the ability to control the mind so the mind doesn't control you. And then exhale longer than your inhale in length. That, again, creates safety, shrinking the amygdala. There's no threat of harm in this environment. It's just a thought and then pause at the bottom of the exhale for a moment before you inhale again. So when you control the breathing, the length, depth, and pace, and you invite a brief pause, you're interacting with your mind and you're the CEO of your mind. Great analogy. I I work at at a very superficial level of the brain. I don't work as deep as you do with the physicians and great researchers you work with, but the way I break it down to folks when I'm working with them is you know, the right prefrontal cortex is you know a conscious space of intuition the left prefrontal cortex is a conscious space of cognition rationalization strategy the lower part of the brain more or less is concerned with body temperature respiration am i hungry am i tired am i wide awake the higher part of the brain is evolving where we've been and the hind brain is a storage file for everything that has happened the the cerebellum way in the back and it, I think it just gives folks just a, a, a lay person's example of you have the front of the brain, which thinks and feels, and it's most conscious. It's, it's most awake. You have the bottom of the brain, which is kind of our mammalian self, our, our reptile self, our eat, sleep, reproduction self. You have the higher brain, where you're taking skills and you're evolving them, neuroplasticity, rewiring the brain. And then you have the back of the brain, which is just this giant store warehouse of all the events we've been in since our birth. You put it so well. Thank you. I wish I had you in medical school when I was struggling to get through neuroanatomy. Ah, man, that's a tough assignment. And look how far it's come since you've been in school. And you're on top of all these different research projects, which are really helping folks in need. Well, I don't know about that, but I'll tell you this. With modern technology now enabling us to really show by virtue on these active PET scans and CT scans and MRIs, exactly what's lighting up when a certain function is going on, now we're able to match it to the, quote, neuropsychology, Mm -hmm. which didn't used to exist, really. Amazing, amazing science. Because let's face it, the brain is in charge. You know, at, at the surface level of where we're all moving through our life, you know, the brain is actually deciding what our hormonal secretions are going to be. You know, the one thing that really we have the greatest control over is our breathing. 
And if there's anxiety in your life or there's higher stress levels, number one is slow your breathing down. Don't let that stressor bring your heart rate up and start to hyperventilate and breathe. Because it just throws off that natural rhythm that the body has to move through a 24-hour cycle. So for most folks, it's close the mouth, slow the breathing down, relax into whatever's coming, and know that it's traveled very far to help you. Talk to us a little bit about the relationship between breathing and what happens during sleep That's, and vice versa. Well, you know, the, the body works in sequences. And, and, and everything that happens in this moment is something that's a reflection of, of what we set up for in the previous moment. So I see folks that are having very difficult time staying asleep. And what that means to me is I'm going to trace their steps back to when they were awake during the day. How many breaths did they take per day? What was their heart rate during the day? What was their brain wave activity? What was their blood pressure? What was their primary fuel? Was it fat metabolism or was it sugar metabolism? So if we can get people, number one, during the day to reboot their autonomic nervous system from fight or flight to rest and digest, more serotonin, more dopamine coming from the entric system, more open neurology in the brain, not overheating and becoming acidic during the day. So if you can't sleep at night, can we look back into the daytime activities and see where we can change things during the day so you don't overheat during the day, don't deplete all your energy reserves. So it's very seamless for the brain to go from that beta mind where you're making all these great decisions at work and you drift a little deeper into that alpha state, which is a little slower, more creative. Then you go even deeper into that theta state where you're not fully awake, you're not fully asleep, and that's the prerequisite for the delta waves. So getting people to be more mindful during the day that how they're breathing is playing such a huge role in how many thoughts there's going to be, how much their, their heart rate is going to be, whether their fuel is fat or sugar, all this keeps us autonomically in balance. And the more that we can remain in a parasympathetic response during the day, the easier it's going to be to seamlessly sleep at night. How does our audience find out more about you and what you're doing and learn more about all this stuff? So uh, my website is uh, www.edharold.com. That's Harold with two R's. And sometimes you can get me online at my, at my tag name, which is Go Be Great. Very cool tag name. Yeah, well, you know, I think we all have a desire to, to really live special lives. And not every day is going to be special. But I think we have the ability to persevere, be resilient, put a good face on whatever's in front of us, and be a good human being. Well, on that note, Ed Harold, author, breather master, educator, philosopher, thank you so much for being with us here at differentbrains.org today. Thank you, Hack. It's an honor being with you as always and the great team that you've assembled here in Fort Lauderdale and your extended audience globally. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.